dear ones. You're listening to the What God Is Not podcast with Father Michael O'Loughlin and Sister Natalia. Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Him forever. I was kind of hoping for a baby squeal to to open the uh, to open the episode. That's why I waited a little bit longer than usual. I should have Squ- squeal baby face something. squeal. Yeah, don't poke her. <laughs> Laura's trying to get her to school now. Don't do that. Laura's pulling the pacifier out of the mouth. Don't don't tell Johnny what we're doing right now. (laughs) So sister, can you explain what we're, uh, what we're looking at here? Yeah. So I'm on my, I'm on my home visit, the half of my home visit that I take in Colorado. So I'm staying for the week. I'm staying with my best friend, Laura and her husband, Johnny and their baby, Faye. So Faye, is we asked for prayers on a recent podcast for Laura and Johnny and Faye. Faye just came home from the hospital yesterday after about a month. She was born premature, but she is home and beautiful and gaining weight and all of that. So uh, I feel I feel kind of bad for everyone else who loves Faye because they've had to not hold her for a month. But I feel like it's kind of God's particular love for me because COVID didn't allow anyone to hold her except for Laura and Johnny because of the hospital regulations and so she came home the day after I got here and I got to be the first one to hold her and of course you posted this all over your TikToks like the whole world knows now I don't even have TikTok (laughs) I'm just gonna make some (laughs) sister Natalia TikTok joke every single episode (laughs) and you always look as confusing as I'd be like are you you serious what's this about my TikTok (laughs) I don't even know I don't know that anyone even thinks that's funny Father Michael thinks. Laura, that's funny. do you think that's funny? TikTok, no. Like me, no, just, no, him imagine about me Sister having Natalia a TikTok? having a TikTok. No, that's not funny at all. Yeah. come on, Faye, give no. me a giggle. Little baby Faye, give me a giggle. <laughs> there we go. Oh, some suckles. Somebody put, put some headphones on her so she can hear. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Laura's actually trying it. <laughs> She's like a Laura. Five Laura's pound, my little Amelia Bedelia over here. Five pound little football in her yeah. arms there, and nice. yeah. Yesterday she was five pounds three ounces. Beautiful, beautiful. She cute. So, have you done any exercises on her yet? We can post yet? a picture, so I'm sure we'll do that. She was baptized and confirmed. Yeah. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Good. So the as the as the which they're they're Roman, but the priest who came for an emergency because Laura had an emergency C section, and the priest who came baptized and confirmed her. So I told them that they should just sneak her the Eucharist, and we could have a secret little baby <laughs> Byzantine. But that's right. You did tell me that. Yeah. I forgot about that. I probably shouldn't have just admitted it on the podcast, but I did. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, that's fear of death. Go big. That's right. But I, I would imagine, I don't know if the Roman church, you Roman Catholic listeners let me know. In the Roman church, as as just, you know, here in the Byzantine church, we do give Eucharist since we do baptism. So even infants receive Eucharist. But um, there's obviously different reasons for, for waiting in the Roman church, in the Latin church. Um, Latin rite, Roman church. I forget what the proper terminology is. Sorry, cowboy. I know you're listening to this and you're getting mad at me for all the wrong terminology. Here, here so in the East. So it's Father Deacon Jonathan. Are are well no and well thinking I, I know the Eastern <laughs> I know the rites and churches here I don't <laughs> oh, I don't that's know true. yeah like I I I, do, I know that for instance like in the East we have we have a rite with multiple churches underneath you that right there we go hi Faye <laughs> um, so we have the Byzantine rite and we are the Ruthenian Church of the Byzantine rite I'm not quite sure how the words Latin and Roman um, the cowboy knows all this very very well um how the how the the how the west how the roman church i don't know i don't, I mean, I don't even mess this up the roman, you, you, all, you all know what i mean the roman catholic church um cowboy's so mad right now i think it's latin right Did I, I don't remember if okay, i said this cowboy. on the podcast or if i said it to you afterwards but i realized that cowboy and perla are going to meet at my life profession mm. and that's very exciting the two interaction of the squirrels so, yeah. yeah, we should bring them some some nuts, and they can run around in circles together. And I don't know, hide That's them. A weird image. I regret Stuff saying them in that. And trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the re- the reason why I, whatever else squirrels do, um, we're just distracted by them. It is kind of funny because we're definitely not distracted yeah. by Perla and Cowboy, even though they never are squirrels. 
we've kind of mangled that whole image, but that's okay. That's okay. It's kind of a thing. Um, we've had we've had we've had listener art about it, so I think it's become a thing when we have listeners using their artistic it's talents totally a to thing. draw pictures of, of our squirrels. So yeah. the reason why I asked about exorcisms is because. Um, and actually, sister, I want to talk are you to you. Gonna, are you going to do an episode on the the rite of baptism in the East? <laughs> I have, yeah, right, exactly. Well, this is so. This is my question, sister. Again, my 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 memory is like a I don't know how do you say it like a sieve. Um, but but uh, you just you named the previous episode something about demons. What what did we talk about demons in the previous one? Because I want to talk about demons in this one, and I want to make sure we're not repeating. I know, but we're not. No, it's when we talked about the philokalia, the gluttony, and the evil thoughts. Okay. So we didn't talk like explicitly about demons? You just demons. wanted to call it demons? No, not like... Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, the evil <laughs> thoughts come from demons. <laughs> they do, okay. I'm going to rename it now. I'm going to rename uh, it now. Fine. It's fine, because this one's like explicitly about demons. I want to I do like an episode on... I, some thoughts I'm on pretty demons. sure... I'm pretty sure he starts it by saying, "Hold on, let me find I it." Just, I'm gonna find no, I'm, it. I'm actually talking about Evagrius a little bit today too, so I'm, I'm sure they're going to tie together. Yeah, I I'm looking it up right now because I happen to have the Philokalia with me. I don't know. I, I, I just love it. how just how sometimes Move these episode names we want to the, some of these episode names we just want them to be provocative. So we're like, we're going to call it free yeah. beer. That has nothing to do with free beer. <laughs> free beer free beer is provocative. <laughs> I would be okay with an episode about free beer. I you know what? I forgot that yes, see, okay. The the quote that I shared from Evagrius was of the demons opposing us in the practice of the ascetic life, there are three groups who fight in the front line. Those entrusted with the appetites of gluttony, those who suggest avaricious thoughts, and those who incite us to seek the esteem of men. Okay. I he calls them that groups now. of demons. Amen. Great. The, you're, you're so the, right, as usual. Um, listen, I have a comment about free beer because I keep forgetting <laughs> that I'm supposed to say something. When we were on Pints with Jack unto ages of ages ago, you and me, mm-hmm. David Bates had said something about buy a priest a beer day or something. And I was like, that's not cool. Why don't they have buy a nun a beer day? And David said... Buy a nun a beer day should be whenever you end up making your life profession. So September 26th, from here on out, mm. is buy a nun a beer day. It's not like as official as the Pope making the last Sunday in June or the last Sunday in July Grandparents Day. It's like not that level of official, though it might get there eventually. But it's Let's just, somewhat official look, that I'll September te- 26th is buy a nun a beer day. I'll text Just Frank. text Pope Francis. Ex- Expect a okay. expect a airplane interview. Pope Frank, soon. you need to use his. <laughs> Sorry, Pope Frank. Expect an airplane interview very soon, proclaiming September twenty sixth National Buy a Nun a Beer Day, and and with the, all the requisite opt outs for monasteries that don't drink. Thankfully, I had forgotten this, but David Bates thankfully um, sent me an email and was like, "Don't forget that this is Buy a Nun a Beer Day," and I'm like, "Thank you." What else is so that? What's, what's the feast day? What, what are you What are you being finally professed on? The feast of the falling asleep of Saint John the Evangelist. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. That's the whole story. I don't know what else you want me to say. You, you're looking like you want me to keep I just, talking. I just, I just, I, I just, else. I was trying to figure out what what feast day you're trumping with by a nana beer day. <laughs> but it's not trumping. <laughs> It's not trumping. I feel like, like St. John approves. No. I'll tell you what. I will pray for the intercession of St. John every time I drink a beer on that day. You better. You just said that out loud. You better actually do that now. You know me. You know I will. <laughs> All right. Amen. You'll get reminded. All right. Well, the reason why I asked... The reason why I asked about exorcisms is because for some reason, demons and exorcisms and things like that have come up a lot recently. I, 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 I tied some into a homily. I had a really good conversation with, with Father Nathan about this. And actually, um, this is kind of going to build on your previous one because Father Nathan is a, my, my assistant here, Father Nathan Adams, is a huge 
Evagrius fan. Father Nathan Simeon. Yes, Father Nathan Simeon is a huge Evagrius fan. And um, and so he he has put a lot of thought in one of his current thoughts too. I don't know if this is a sign for our parish about the fact that both priests here are, are doing a lot of thinking about demons. Um, but uh, by the way, he just, he just drove by. Um, he's got a cool new like fedora that he wears everywhere, which I think is I think is awesome. Um, anyway, he just drove by wearing the fedora. Um, pray for Father Nathan and his and his wife. They just lost their only vehicle. Probably the engine died uh, yesterday, and I had to come pick them up. I know oh, it was the only no. five kiddos, five little girls. At least it's the summer where Allie doesn't need to take them to school every day. But anyway, yeah, pray for their pray for their vehicle and and a new vehicle if this one's dead in the water. We'll see. Um, but anyway. Um, Right I, after the blessing, too. I wonder if they had. We just blessed. had the blessing of vehicles on July twentieth. You, know <gasps> you know what's really bad is that if sometimes he didn't bless his vehicle, it's his sometimes fault. Sometimes priests don't. Right? Well, I'm not, not. It's not. It's not magic like that. But I, I get what you're saying, Sister. But sometimes priests, like I have forgotten multiple <laughs> years to bless my own home. Like we bless homes on Theophany, of oh. course. We bless cars uh-huh. on Elias, which just passed on July 20th. We bless homes uh, around Theophany, January 6th. But there's been multiple years where I've like traveled all over Colorado or all over Southern California, blessing people's homes. And then like, you know, June comes along. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never blessed my own home. So yeah, it's sometimes a problem for priests that we don't, uh, we don't take care of ourselves spiritually when we're when we're exhausting ourselves taking care of others um but anyway we, we've both been talking about about demons and where's my notes for this oh here we go and uh and so i kind of i want to i have two points to this kind of two moral lessons about demons uh, this is not some sort of comprehensive analysis of of the byzantine view of demons it, it, it's more just a, a, a few a few examples of of what demons are what they've done in the church uh why we need to be afraid of them and not be afraid of them in different ways and then what that means for very practical things in our lives um so the first thing i wanted to share was just three stories because they uh really one story but two other kind of prerequisites um to help us understand what it means uh what it means to to not fear demons and why, um, and then and then go into later about why, in a sense, we should we should be very very wary of them if if not fear them. We should got to, of course define what fear means here. Um, it's different than the fear of God. Mm-hmm. It's different than like being startled. But there there's an there's a, an immensity that we need to understand when it comes to demons. So a, a quick story. So when I was in college, um, I was in a fraternity, uh, what we called a household at University of Steubenville, a household with with I think they said like overall ninety men back back when I was discerning. Ninety men were all discerning the priesthood together. Um, so it was a lot, and we and we had a fraternity of brotherhood among us. And within one semester, we had three instances where it became very obvious that that the devil was was attacking individual members of our fraternity. Um, and this might have even happened in other households, but it was very, very obvious um, where the devil was attacking us. So again, I'm guessing everybody listening knows this. Um, demons are just fallen angels. They're angels that God created everything good. God created the angels good as his messengers, as his ministers, as, as our protectors, um, et cetera. Uh, but, but some of these angels, he's not, again, as I've said a million times, the, the God is not a puppet master and he gave the angels the will and the ability to reject him and, and to not, uh, follow through on the vocation he gave them, um, to be protectors and messengers and, and servants of his to, to serve the kingdom of God. Um, so those, especially, you know, Satan, the devil, and, and the many other um, angels that, that fell, that decided not to serve God, but rather oppose him, um, they've now become, you know, the, the accuser, the slanderers, the deceivers, all these words that we use for the demons, the devils, um, th- those who, who are trying to fight against God and his kingdom and therefore fight against us and our purpose and the kingdom that, that, that we were created to inhabit and to participate in. Um, they are obviously adamantly against us being members of the body of Christ. And just like the demons had the ability, the angels had the ability to either 
um, accept their vocation as angels or to reject it and, and become demons. Um, so we do as well. We have that same ability, but the, 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 not having bodies, the, the angels and the demons um, make these decisions in a different way than we do. And it, it's most likely outside of space and time in a sense that they made these decisions. They had all the information um, in, in one moment, if you will, but outside of space and outside of time. And so they made these decisions. We, of course, exist within space and time. We, we, we take up space and we, we exist with from one second to the next. So, so the decision that the angels, the demons, angels and demons made in, in one moment, if you will, we still use time language because that's all we know, that the decisions they made, the decisions they made, we make over the course of our entire lifetime. And so the, this, this, our lifetime is a pilgrimage of, of, and the East and fathers are very explicit. Every moment we are either serving God or the demons. There, there, it, there's not like um, necessarily a spectrum. Now, again, different fathers explain this different ways, but, but we are in, in every moment where we're, we're either serving God or the demons. We're either growing closer to God or, or, or further from him um, with evil. But so what happened is you as obviously the scriptures are full of stories of those who are possessed, those who are being influenced, affected by demons, those who uh, the demons have, have taken control over and and are are manifesting through through illness, through behavior, whatever it may be, um, the presence of, of of a demon or demons, like in the case of Legion, right? The the story of the the pigs. It was a legion. There was, there was a whole group of demons that that our Lord removed from the man or the men, depending on which synoptic gospel you're reading, and put them into the pigs, and they they were drowned in the sea. Um, so there there's obviously there's a scriptural revelation about these possessions. Well, again, I don't want to go into too much detail. Um, some exorcists have all these explanations of the different levels of uh, impact the devil can have. There can be oppression, there can be possession, et cetera. Um, and I, I don't, there, there's a lot of, of beautiful, beautiful, beautiful Roman Catholic teaching on these things that I'm just not qualified to go into. Uh, a couple of them might come up because I, a lot of that of my world has been in those Roman Catholic contexts through college and the Companions of Christ. But I want to touch more on, on just some of my experiences and then, then tie them into, into what that means for us in this day and age and kind of how I think um, our Lord's been putting on, on Father Nathan's mind and my mind, um, the kind of what some of the things that the demons have been doing in the world now. Um, so uh, this, now this was from 20 years ago, less than that, I guess, um, a little less than 20 years ago. But we had one semester where, where we had three men among these 93 men uh, manifest some pretty obvious external sign that they were um, extraordinarily and in a very intense way uh, being affected by the demons. Um, now, again, I, I used to live with an exorcist. Um, one of the, the main, like, this is kind of a weird analogy, but um, I, I have a friend that taught me how to make beer. And he says, um, if you want to find someone that's going to be good at making beer, find someone who's very detailed and good at cleaning. <laughs> it's funny. But, mm -hmm. but he said, when the, and I've seen this, the process of making beer involves mm -hmm. a lot of cleaning and sterilizing and purifying. Like you have to make, a, your, your beer is not going to turn out right unless everything is sterilized and over and over and over again. So um, in the same way, he says, to be a good exorcist, you need to have uh, the gift of discernment in a way uh, to discern what is, and I'll get back to this in a moment, to discern what is, what is uh, mental illness and what is demonic attack and, and, and where those overlap and, and where they're separate and, and what you focus on with one or what you focus on the other. Obviously, an exorcist is generally not trained in, in psychotherapy or in, in human psychology and the science of it. So they, they will say it's important for an exorcist to say, I'm going to, as, as powerful as I know I am, as someone who, who does exorcisms, and by the way, um, the, real quick, just as a qualifier, um, the, especially the East is very eloquent about saying the only real exorcist is Jesus Christ. And when we say the exorcist, it's mm. him. It's in his name. So you'll, you'll hear exorcists say in the name of Jesus. In the East, we don't really have those, although we did in the first few centuries of the church, but generally the gift of exorcism in the East is given to all priests. So all priests, mm -hmm. when because they're not acting on their own, they're not exorcists on their own, they're acting in the person of Christ. So, so it is Christ is the exorcist. The priest speaks in his name, but in that, in that way, 
all Christians are exorcists because any any time that that we are we are speaking in Jesus' name and especially um, having the 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 role of daily conversion and daily growth and holiness and again the ability to to remove the devil from situations where he's taken a hold, especially in our own soul and in our own heart. Therefore, we we become exorcists as well. Um, so I want to, I'm going to let you, I just, I just want to go back a second. Yes. Um, I just want to make sure that I understood correctly. Yes. You made the comparison of discerning demonic versus mental illness, like demonic activity versus mental illness. You made, you compared that to someone who is versus is not talented at brewing beer. I just want to make sure I understood that correctly. Right? Is, are you, that are was you just your joking or, or am I, am I, do I need to clarify? I just, my, it's my just funny. That's good. I like that. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, I think it's just, it's just, <laughs> and I do not analogy. know why. I just want to make that, sure that I was following that correctly. <laughs> yeah. So, in other, in other words, if I lived with a Roman Catholic exorcist, so most Roman dioceses have an exorcist there, someone who, a priest that they appoint to the role of doing exorcisms. We don't do that in the East mm-hmm. generally. Some, some bishops do, but generally we don't. Um, but yeah, so. In the Roman Catholic context, what I compared was was <laughs> if a bishop is looking for a man to train as an exorcist, one of the things he's looking for is the ability to discern between mental illness and demonic attack. Um, similar, if you're looking for someone to to brew beer, you do not want someone like me who who is not that detail oriented and isn't is not a big like, especially when it comes to cleaning out equipment is 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 going to be very frustrated in this ADD of having to take the time to detail clean every little instrument or the beer is not going to turn out correctly. So yes. The details are important. I accidentally one time put in the barley instead of the oats. Like I reversed the order or something. I mean it was still fine. It just was different than it was uh, fine, but the details important. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the also I I just since you said it twice just now. I I have to I have to say <laughs> I have a friend and I actually told him I was going to say this. I have a friend who plays a drinking game with his podcast sister. And every time you say the word important, <laughs> they take a drink. But it's, it's, not, it's, not be, it's, it's not because you use the word. It's because you have a very, what they call a Colorado accent. And you don't pronounce oh, the T Oh, because I don't the say the T. <laughs> important. Oh, I'm made fun of for this all the time at the monastery. <laughs> Also, Craig Craig Kinsey is um, a friend of mine, and he he makes fun of me for this. No, he so, he'll and, just and report the word back to me. He'll be like, "Important." <laughs> oh. Okay, I think I lost you for a second. I think we're back. Um, it's just, I think we're good. Um, the uh, yeah. so anyway, you I, have a bad I, network I, right now. I want to. Uh, oh, I do. Thank you. Um, let me see which which one I'm mm-hmm. on. I, I I want to I want to uh, I'm on the guest. That's okay. Um, I want to um, allow you some deep thoughts as well, sister. Not only um, not only uh, service thoughts, but I, I I'm I'm just explaining my thing. So go back to the story <laughs> real quick. Um, so please jump in with any thoughts you may have, especially deep ones. Um, the uh, so and the the first I think the important thing to remember is that so the first two times the young men when they had manifested I think you just said important you said it the same way as me oh I I probably do uh, I'm I'm not saying I don't I'm just saying okay. that for some reason Fine, it stands out more to listeners um, <laughs> the uh, the so these <laughs> these two men who in the end said it was actually mostly psychological. So they both had um, the Roman Catholic exorcist come, do exorcisms on there, and it was it was discovered and discerned that it was, it was mostly mental. But of course, when the devil knows when there's whatever our anxieties are, whatever our individual uh, mental struggles are, the devil knows that. He can observe those things in, in a very real way. And so he's going to attack those things. So, so so a lot of times it's somewhere in between and... and, and, and uh, and again, it, it's it's this is one of those nuances where some of the Eastern fathers would say there is no nuance in every moment where they're working for the devil or for God. But this is one of the nuances I think are very present, where where the it, it's not going to be as obviously all mental illness or all or even all physical illness. I mean, obviously in the scriptures, there's plenty of also other. I, mean, I would kind of consider mental illnesses physical physical illnesses in a sense. They involve the brain, but um, but there's a there's a 
the devil attacks in these physical ways. So there's a, a physical manifestation of either the, the mental or the physical illness and then also the demonic, invisible to non-demonic attack that, that manifests in those ways. Anyway, um, we, had, we had two different situations uh, where it became very obvious to, the, to those of us in this fraternity who were observing this that there was something uh, transcendent going on. Um, something beyond just the normal. Um, and then, but one of the situations, this young man had, uh, one of the young men had taken, had decided that he was going to take a statue. Um, he had a purse, he personally had a statue of, of a, of, of Christ after his scourging. Oh, Faye. Little lady. Um, after his scourging, and, and it was a statue that was probably about two feet high um, and very, uh, very bloody. You know, it, it was a statue meant to be very realistic, realistically show what it looked like to be scourged. And so this young man uh, decided after he was healed and, and released from whatever what the demonic attack was, he decided to go put it in the main chapel at Steubenville. So he did. He put it in there, and like in the entryway, in the narthex. And, and no one touched it. It was there for like a month. No one touched it. It's like left it there. It was his personal statue. Um, but But what happened was then... A, and this is what one of the kind of the moral lessons to the story. Uh, one of my other household brothers who, who I, I was always very intimidated by, he was incredibly bright and he was, he was an amazing, amazing entrepreneur. And he would, he would find these unique ways because of his brightness, because of his smarts to make money. And he would make money in these very creative ways that, that it would be, you know, I mean, I remember one of the stories he would like, um, he would get in a relationship with limo drivers and, and he would say, and so the limo driver would go drop off some, some wealthy person at, at a dinner and the wealthy person would tell the limo driver, um, you know, okay, you're dropping us off at six thirty. come, you know, sit out here, but we be, we'll be ready about nine. So this guy would, would get in touch with the limo driver and say, hey, once you drop them off, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the limo and I'm going to go run other people around and then bring it back to you and then you can drive your client back home. And, and in other words, instead of just sitting in the limo, which most limo drivers do while, while their client's in somewhere, he would, they would make more money and he would literally give the money directly to the limo driver. And then, so he made so much money off of these little things like this and he'd just give the limo driver a percentage of whatever he made, but he knew how to get, like, hey, there's something to give you a ride one place and whatever it was. So anyway, that was one example I remember. So he, he, was, he was a really brilliant entrepreneur in finding these little ways and then he would travel half the year. He'd make enough money in a half a year to mm. travel the other half of the year. So then he, he discerned priesthood and went to the pre-theology program. Um, but but he, he was very intimidating. We used to play board games and things like this. And he would be, it was, I mean, I, I, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, And I, maybe it's not twenty twenty. Maybe I'm, I'm muddying my, my memory because of what happened. But one day he just absolutely um, manifested. And he... We, I got a call from my, my roommate saying, hey, can you, can you come and pray with us? One of the household brothers is having, having a rough time. And so I went over to the, to the main chapel there at Steubenville, and this guy had, had somehow found the microphone system and the audiovisual system, and it turned on all the mics. And he was up there on the pulpit um, without all, only wearing shorts, no shirt, no shoes, nothing. He's wearing shorts, and he's, his, his hair is a mess, and he, he just, he's screaming into the mic that, that he wants our coordinator, the priest was our coordinator and he wants his roommate. And there's probably five or six of us at this point, all in the household, um, who are, who are, uh, like watching this and we began to pray. And, and, and this is one of the household brothers just like, let's kneel down here and we pray. So we sat and we knelt down in the narthex. Um, anyway, he started, he started ripping out the pages of the, of the lectionary. He just pulled it out and says like, you know, the, the readings from the, from the scriptures, he's ripping out these pages, but he's asking for these. And this is important. He's asking for these two men and he wants us to go get them. And he's like, he's, he sees us exactly. He sees us in the back of the church and he, he wants us to, he wants us to go get them. And so we don't know why we don't know where they are. So we like two of the guys go run out to try to find these two men. The rest of us just pray. But anyway, he, to make a long story short, he came back into the entryway of the church. He, he would kneel down in front of us and mock our prayer. And like some of the guys were very charismatic. They're praying in very charismatic ways. I was not, I was just kneeling down silent, but he would like kneel down and get right in our face. And he would just start mocking us. But the interesting thing was that, and this is why I think just the, the kind of the grace of God is working. He would like look 
he would look at us and he'd mock and he'd like turn and look at the statue of Christ that was so bloody. And then he would look back at us mm-hmm. and kind of mock, 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 then kind of turn sideways and look at, look at the statue again. And what I saw was this, there was this obvious connection between the way that the devil had attacked one of his brothers and that brother was given the insight by God to bring this statue there. And I don't know what happened, but then he decided to mock the statue and he went and he got, he got the holy water, like the metal holy water holder out of the, out of the font and he started cutting his chest with it. Like he threw the holy water out and then started cutting his chest like to look like Christ who, I, that's in my, I don't know if he was actually doing that, but like he kept on looking at the statue. It was like, he was like cutting his chest to look like the scourged Christ. Um, and then he ended up leaving and I never, I just stayed in the church praying and then they sent somebody to go to try to go get him. I saw him later on when he was still having all these issues, but, but he, he was, somebody else helped him and somebody else performed the exorcism. We, we actually never saw him again. He never came back to campus. So, um, poor guy was having, having a really rough time. Um, but the point I want to make about this is two things. And then I'll, sorry, I'll sister, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you give some thoughts on this. But, um, but the one thing was that after all these three men, and I've shared the story with people I know a lot because I think it's such an important thing, but after all these three men manifested this in one semester, and he was definitely the most extreme, this third one, um, we had one of the exorcists from campus come and he told us a story talking about making beer or discerning an exorcist. One of the things that, that this man was, was given, the, was given the, the mandate from the bishop or the blessing from the bishop to be an exorcist um, was because he had been given the ability, I won't call it a gift, but the ability when he was younger um, to, 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 to view and to hear, to smell, to taste, to touch uh, a demon. So he was, he was in, in the war in Vietnam and he, or Korea, one of the two, and he saw and smelled and tasted and touched and felt the presence of a demon that, that absolutely freaked him out. Mm. And pretty much he said that the form this demon took was all of the moments he had felt shame and all the moments he had felt embarrassed mm. and all the moments he had had self-hatred and all these moments that had created all this tension and anxiety in his life, this is what the devil manifested itself as. So it wasn't like some red forked tail horned beast. It was literally like a manifestation of experiences that he had had that were some of the most destructive, disturbing experiences of his life. And well, this was this happened at night for him, and it was all five senses were engaged in, in just a horrendous way. And when he went to talk to the chaplain, the chaplain said, "I hate to say this, but this probably means that that our Lord, since our Lord let you see this, because of course the devil can't do that. There's demons everywhere, like there's angels everywhere, so we just don't see them, we don't perceive them. But that God let let him perceive this demon for His glory and for the good, even though it scared the living heck out of him. Um, but so then he ended up becoming an exorcist later on. But what he said was then, when the chaplain said this, he went on when he was in seminary, he was laying in bed." And he said the first, the first thing that when he manifested, the, saw the demon the first time was that he smelt. Like he was laying with his eyes closed in bed and he had this horrific smell. Mm. And that's when he turned over and saw with his eyes and, and felt like, all, again, all five senses were engaged. Um, but the second time this happened, he says his seminary was in a very bad part of town and they were always afraid that someone was gonna break in. Um, so he says he was laying in bed in seminary and he smelt something and he heard something and he says, I whipped around in bed and I saw a manifestation of this demon again, but it had, it had been all the things that were, all the things that were very disturbing to him since the previous one were added to the manifestation of the demon. And he says, he says, I looked at it and I said, oh, it's only you. And I turned around and went back to bed. And so it, mm-hmm. he was, he had become fearless. He was actually more afraid of a thief walking in and harming him physically than he was the demon because he knew the demon could not harm him um, because he knew that he was protected by Christ, of course. He knew that the demon um, in this sense was only using scare tactics and things like this. So he, there, was, there was a fearlessness. This, so again, that fearlessness, if, if we understand we are protected by Christ, living good lives of conversion, participating in the sacraments, um, we are protected by Christ and we can have that fearlessness. You see this with um, the Curie of Ars in the West. You see this with Padre Pio. You certainly see it with Anthony, Anthony the Desert. I'm going to talk about him more in a moment if we have time. But Anthony the Desert had a, a, an immense fearlessness of, of the devil. But the second thing I want to say is that one of the reasons why we realized that 
that he was asking for the coordinator of the program and for his roommate was because we signed a document. It wasn't a vow. It was really not even a promise, but it was a document in our fraternity, in our household that said, here's what it means to be a pre-theologian. Here's what it means to be, to be discerning the priesthood. And it said things like, I will wake up every morning for 7.30 a.m. morning prayer. I will every evening go to 5 p.m. evening prayer. I will do, uh, this is again, Steubenville, so Roman Catholic, I'll go to mass every single day. I'll do a holy hour every single day. And I will not date seriously. Like these were our, our commitments. Now, we broke those commitments all the time. Like guys would sleep in, they'd do something else, they'd go on a few dates and it'd become serious. You know, they leave the program because they, they fell in love with a woman and that happened all the time, like like mid, mid-semester. And we always made these promises for that semester. And no one really batted an eye at the breaking of these commitments. But we realized, and this is what this exorcist said, he says, one of the reasons that this man was asking for the coordinator of the program and his roommate was because the devil knew that he was bound to that commitment. And the devil knew that before mm. remove, before removing him from the fraternity, from the household, he needed the permission of the coordinator and one of the other men that signed it with him. So the devil was mm. actually, actually in one way powerless to this promise this man had made, to this commitment this man had made. And we used to break these things all the time without a second thought, you know, but the devil couldn't. The devil could because he knew the power of this commitment and these promises that we made. Um, so I, 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 I use that example in a recent homily because it shows that the, the power of commitment, you know, say, say yes when you mean yes and no if you mean no. You know, it's in the scriptures. There, there's something, we, we break these commitments. It's, it's a phrase that, that we use here in California all the time, um, califlake. Like, right, you, you say you're gonna do something and you don't. <laughs> and like you, you flake, so they call it a califlake. But like, I, I'm not saying that the, that the devil is involved in every single one of these things, but, but the devil who is, is more objectively bound to yes and no, to truth and to falsehood um, than we are, I, I think we need to, we in a sense need to, to take our, our commitments, especially to each other, more seriously, because the devil knows the power of these commitments sometimes. You know, this is, this is big news right now with, with um, I don't know if you've read the articles, hopefully you haven't, sister, but, but the, you know, they're, they're finding priests that are using location-based dating apps to go have a, like anonymous sex. And, and so, and the, the, location, the location information is publicly accessible. Like you need to pay for, but it's so, I mean, you could literally, if you know the number on somebody's phone, not the phone number, but the individual number on their phone, like you can track where somebody's been and you can see them going to different, you know, places of ill repute and things like this and, and see if them involved in these, in these dating apps type things. Uh, you know, there, there's a, there's, that involves a major breaking of a commitment, of course, to our promise to chastity and to celibacy in a real way. So we, we tend to be very dismissive of these things, especially after, after time, um, but you know the, the the devil, just like the devil in the scriptures, proclaimed Christ as the Son of God. Really, you know, at the same time, or even before some of the apostles did, he identified the truth of Jesus Christ. The devil knows the truth of Jesus Christ. The devil also knows the power of these commitments. And and I, and the, of course, God always forgives. But but uh, one thing I realized, and it was in the context of a homily. But but we, I think we need to make sure that we are taking the commitments that we make very seriously, because that's a truth in commitment that even the devil knows that that we tend to we tend to minimize the the importance of those things. And the, and the devil, according to this story that this exorcist told, does not. Yeah, I I, I don't have a. I don't have much to add right now because mostly you've just told stories, but the the two things I do have are when you say that us flaking on decisions, you said, you know, you're not, you're not saying that that's something, some response to the devil every time or something like that. But I would argue that to some extent it is like to some extent, because you'd already said that, that in the East, the view is at every moment we're either serving God or serving the demons. And so in that sense, in those moments where we're where we're flaking on a commitment, if it's a commitment that we should be keeping, there is at least some aspect of of influence of the devil there, of some aspect of sin. And even though it's not like demonic possession. And because it just just I think that's something to distinguish here is you're talking about instances of actual possession. 
And, you know, they, 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 we talk about possession versus oppression, but you're talking about some instances of, of possession, basically. But there are, but we're also just constantly influenced by the demons, even if it's right. not possession. And so, so that's, that's a good nuance, I think. But the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, we hear these stories of some of the saints who, oh, I wish I could think of which particular saints they are, but I've heard from a couple different ones that, that they go to the brothel. These are, these are saints who, who can see demons, who have that same ability that you were talking about. And they go to the brothels and they see, you know, multiple demons there. And then they, co- they come back to the monastery and see hordes of demons. Mm. And, you know, there's this, because the, at, at the monasteries, the, the demons flock to there. And there's uh, some of the, some of the, there's one of the desert fathers says something about how every time we ring the bells for prayer, we're also ringing the bells that summon the demons. Because when the, the demons know that, that the monks are going to prayer, that's when they're going to attack and they're going to try to do anything to dissuade you from prayer or from distracting you from prayer, things like that. And yeah, so those were, those were the things I was thinking about as you were talking. And I've had, I've had a couple experiences. I'm not going to share them right now, but I've had a couple experiences with demonic activity and there's something about the fear that you described. And it's, yeah, I, I, I do want us to get to Anthony of the desert because I think that his response to the demons is just like, I'm just not there. <laughs> but, but I've had experiences where there's, there's, there is this overwhelming fear and and it's almost like I, I thought of two Harry Potter analogies. Are you are you familiar with Harry Potter, Father Michael? Yes, I've read I've read the at books. least the I've movies, if not the books. Oh, okay. I've, I've then, read the books. Then not in the, the books, yeah. So in the sorry that I assumed it was the other for you. Okay. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> you probably should be. That's fine. So, but the there there's almost this experience of like what you hear about with the Dementors, where when the Dementor shows up, there's just this, like, you can just feel this atmosphere of despair and, and fear. And, and this is what the, the demons want is, is they want to, this actually ties really well into the topic I'm going to do next, but the, the demons want to instill in us this fear and this unrest and this anxiety and this despair, like the demons just thrive on despair. But then the other thing was, I was thinking of, as you were talking about the the priest who, the exorcist who, when he was young and had this experience of demons, the, of a demon, it was this, the manifestation was all these moments of shame. It reminded me of, in Harry Potter, the Boggarts or the, but I don't know how you say it. Laura's here. She's probably so ashamed of me right now. Um, but she's in another room with Faye. So the, but the, the, the creatures that, transform the ones that the ones that change shape and they shift into the shape of whatever is the greatest fear of the person nearest them mm-hmm. right i don't know if you remember these creatures but so ron is super afraid of spiders so it transforms into this huge spider mm-hmm. and things like that and that's what that's what i was thinking of as you were talking about this priest because it's it's I know that even again, not talking possession, but talking about just the the places that the demons try to attack me the most, even just in my thoughts and stuff, are the places of shame, and the so so that's really fascinating. I've never heard someone describe it in that way, but yeah, and it's I think it's you know, it, and, and if you read if you read Anthony the Desert, and and by the way, it, the life of Anthony by uh, by Athanasius, I would just Google it; it's free. Um, online, it's just called the Life of Anthony by Athanasius. Um, we'll put that in, mm-hmm. in the notes in the reference notes. Um, it is a is a great, and it's I mean, if you literally just do word search for demon or devil, um, Anthony the Desert was a one of the first monastics, if not the first monastic, who went into the desert in the fourth century. Once Christianity was legalized, he went to the desert, and as Athanasius reports on him. 
um, generally we consider monastics, correct me if I'm wrong, sister, they, they, they flee to the desert and that, that can, doesn't even need to mean like the hot sandy desert, but they, 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 they leave the world. In other words, they leave the world to avoid the temptations and the luxuries of the world. So, um, you're you're mm-hmm. you're you're going to a situation where you are you have less temptations from from you know all the things that are in the world you know you you sisters do not have your own um you know generally do not have your own uh individual but I don't know what media devices, phones, computers that 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 no right. one checks on right you don't have your own that you're the only one who right. sees mm-hmm. it. Um, so you're you're fleeing those the, those temptations, but you're also fleeing the luxuries. You know, you're 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 dressing a certain way, you're you're eating a certain way, you're, you're avoiding the 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 hedonistic aspects of the world, but also the evil aspects of the world. But but as as you said, you know, there's demons all over the monasteries, and you go out and when you read the story of Life of Anthony by Athanasius, you see how much how much the life of, of a monastic is about fighting demons. You know, it, 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 there's a real mm-hmm. battle that, that, that kind of, I think those of us in the world, God protects us from, for the vast majority of the attacks. Um, and then, and then, you know, empowers us to, to fight them directly. Sometimes with the monastics are out in the desert are really, really, really doing, doing that a lot more. Um, but Anthony in the, in the beginning, um, his his first fights with the with the demons are are the demons of of lust and the demons of gluttony when it comes to food and then greed those are the the first three that that the demons say that they attack the young um you know and and, and when mm. he's when he's a young because he was a very wealthy young man before he went off in the desert and and but those three things there's kind of there's great stories in there about um these manifestations the devil would make and and in the end the devil was was almost intimidated by anthony because he was so strong and so disciplined um that he was able to able to fight these things but you do see in anthony a a, a immense fearlessness of the demons. Um, but it's also because he understood that he had from Christ the right tools to fight them. Um, and that was, that was conversion, conversion, penance, you know, a, a life of holiness. Um, I also want to reference something I've referenced multiple times. So I'm not going to go into it too much, but the the, the movie The Island Ostrov ha, has a great exorcism mm-hmm. scene that, that shows how the devil is powerless before repentance and especially repentance. Again, you, as, as the story goes, you could be an immense sinner, and 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 the the um, your sin is not going to be something the devil can hold on to if you repent. And all of us sin. We hear in Romans, all everybody sins. We're all sinners. So the the greatest tactic against the devil, as manifested in that instance, is repentance. Is 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 being able to say, you know. I'm, I'm, I regret my sin. I apologize for my sin. I want to, I want to change my life. I need you to help me do that, Lord. And since we're all sinners, repentance is one of the greatest. And that's why we, we talk about monastics, right? Sister, are, that there, there, it is a life of repentance. Um, so, so that's why mm-hmm. um, every day lived out in repentance, like the, the monastics do, um, becomes something that, that is, is so incredibly, is such a powerful weapon against the demons because that repentance is of God. And God, of course, like I said, is the primary exorcist. Yeah. The, I just want to make one small clarification mm-hmm. for those who, the uh, Anthony of the desert, there were, we do know that there were hermits out in the desert before him. There was at least Paul of Thebes who, um, and we know that he met um, at least one of those hermits when he went. I don't remember. I just read the life of Saint Anthony recently, but I'm already forgetting. But anyways, there were. He wasn't the first one out there, but he is often considered the father of the the desert monastics because he started to form a following out there. Mm-hmm. So that's all. Yeah, I I like that though about the. Yeah, this is the life of monasticism is in some sense this this constant exorcism this constant overcoming of evil this constant living out of that yeah and i also want to and I'll, I'll finish with this thought this is kind of the other the other moral thing i think to take from our recent thoughts and this generally comes from 
from originally from Evagrius, but this is kind of, I asked Father Nathan for his contribution on, Father Nathan Simeon, for his contribution mm. on, on like, what, what would you want to share about demons? And he said, um, now he, he's a big proponent of, of the, the Eastern view of toll houses after death. So there's a, mm -hmm. which we could do a whole podcast on. I'm not a big fan of this. I, it doesn't, I, I, I think there's a subtlety there. Um, if you just want to look up orthodoxy toll houses. Um, but, but, but it, the way he explained this does make sense in that context. It's, it's kind of a, a, a theory um, revealed by many of the fathers about what happens after death and how we, how, how we are there, there's a, a, a fight over our souls and therefore over our persons um, between God and the devil. And, and our life is, is what they are, they're using as evidence. So in other words, the, the God and the devil both of course want us to join them in either heaven or hell. And, and they're, they're looking at our life as, as evidence, whether we belong to God or they belong to the devil. And Evagrius talks about three levels of, kind of three levels of, of the devil's thoughts. And so this concept of discernment, sis, that you've talked about before many times about with Evagrius, what one mm -hmm. of the aspects of this, I don't think we've talked about yet in this podcast, is that is that there there's really three origin, three various origins for our thoughts. These this these logos moi, mm -hmm. the, these these little thoughts that we have that that don't seem that affected. They don't think like they're changing much. They're not really having a big impact on my life, but in the end we realize they do. And this is one of the contributions of, of Evagrius and the Eastern fathers is that even the smallest thoughts um, can be very destructive or very helpful. And, and this is this is a threefold process that, that Vagrius talks about. And I'm, I'm getting this through Father Nathan, the lens of his interpretation. Um, but the, the um, let's just say, let's start with, since we're talking about demons, uh, thoughts that come from the demons. And he says, the first, the first time we realize that we have a thought that came from the demons is that it's not, it's not something that that very obviously um, came from us. In other words, um, it's not typical of our way of thinking. So there's a, I can say that's, you know, that, that's a, a weird thought. You know, I, I, I've, had, um, I've had young people tell me this, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm having thoughts, Father, that I don't want to have. You know, we hear this in confession all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking things I'm, I don't want to think about. I'm having these images come into my head that I don't want to have. Like, I didn't put them there and I don't want them there. Like, the, the, these thoughts are, are from the devils. These thoughts are from the demons. They, they can influence to have these thoughts. It's then what we do with them. So, Evagrius then talks about then what he describes as, as a coupling. So, if we, if we reject them, we reject them and they're gone. But if we, if we take these atypical thoughts that obviously did not come from us and we start to, you know, I, I, when I was a kid or I'm a Catholic, I, the word entertaining these thoughts, you know, when I start to, and the coupling is kind of, a, of I'm, I'm engaging with the devil. Mm -hmm. I didn't just cast them out. I didn't just reject them. I'm actually engaging with the devil. So wh like, why devil did you put this in my mind? Like, wh wh what is it? And then and the devil's is like the engagement between the devil and Eve. You know, I'm, I'm having this conversation with the devil and the devil, just like with Eve, is convincing me, you know, the, the, these, these thoughts are good for you. You know, these things that you're thinking can be helpful. It'll make you happier or more independent. It'll make you wealthier or more likable. It'll make you funnier. It'll make you more beautiful. Whatever these things are that the devil, and this, this begins a process of, of what he calls coupling, where the devil and I start to debate. And I, 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 start, to, I start to waver in my, in my understanding that, that these are not of me. These are coming from somewhere else. And then the, again, this is overgeneralized, but the third step after this is that, that these become my thoughts. They, they actually become, mm. and, and, and the way that, that Father Nathan put it was that the devil doesn't even need to tempt me anymore. The thoughts are now, the devil's thoughts are now my thoughts. And so um, mm -hmm. when we were discussing this, we, we invented a word um, instead of deification, it's demonification. In other words, deification or theos <laughs> is, is becoming God. Demonification is we mm -hmm. literally begin thinking and acting like the demons. And this, you've probably heard the phrase before mm -hmm. where, where at, if, the de if the demons are attacking us a lot, then we know we're doing something right because they're, they're fight when they stop fighting us, then they have us, you know, I've heard that many, many times, but this is mm -hmm. literally uh, as Evagrius talks about it, you know, you, you can see the process. I went from saying, I don't like this thought. It's obviously not of me. It's atypical of my way of thinking to saying, this is how I think now. And literally I, I have moved. I've been convinced by the devil to not be impacted by the devil, to think like the devil. I've now changed my will 
has become distorted. So I think and act like the demons do. And then the way that this kind of this, this toll houses view or this, this fight between after my death and the devil comes up and says, of course he's mine. Look, he thinks like me, right? I stopped tempting him long ago. Now he thinks the thoughts that were not his, I had a discussion with him and he adopted my thoughts as his thoughts. So the opposite of this, of course, that's becoming like the demon. Theos is like becoming like God or becoming God. We become like the demons in, in, in demonification. Deification is we become like God. So our thoughts, are, we, God put something into our mind that, that, is, that we are in awe of, right? We in the Byzantine church love awe. We love being in awe. We love learning new things. So the, the God then puts something in our mind. We think about it. We say, oh, that's beautiful. Then we begin coupling with it. We begin, we begin adopting it as our own in this discussion with God. And then we make it our own. And so in this discussion after mm-hmm. death between God and the devil, if you will, I'm not, I'm not saying this is explicitly what happens, but you can see God says, no, no, he's mine because he's now adopted my thoughts to be his thoughts, my ways to be his ways. The devil goes up, oh, nope, look at this, look at this. You know, he's now adopted my ways to be his ways. So this is a, is a, a moral conviction to say, you know, when we do have these surprising thoughts, these things that come to mind, that's when we can say, this is not of me, which is one of the categories of thoughts. It's either of God, if it's something beautiful, true and good, and, and something that is revealed to us as being good or to the devil. And, and what do we do? Do we have this coupling with the, with the devil? We've adopted his thoughts as my thoughts. Um, or, and then it, that's a good just thing to do for the examination of conscience um, to try to understand um, if we can imagine God and the devil discussing our life and our behaviors and our thoughts. Um, who's going to claim that that they've influenced us. Who whose way of thinking have we adopted um, in 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 a general way? And this is just a daily a daily conversion that we need to have, making sure that we are we are we are not coupling with the thoughts of the devil, but always coupling and and engaging with and be and taking as our own the thoughts, the will, um, the the things of truth, beauty, and goodness, the things of the Creator, the things of God. Yeah, and and this is. I mean, Evagrius, you're right that Evagrius talks about this a lot, but this is so prevalent in in all of the the early Eastern writers, at least. Um, like I have, I just have the Philokalia sitting next to me right now, volume one. And what you're talking about is discrimination is what the English translation that I know neither of us like, but that's the English translation instead of discernment. But that Evagrius, he has... One one chapter of this is on texts on discrimination in respect of passions and thoughts, but then you have Isaiah the solitary on guarding the intellect. You have um, Hezekiah on watchfulness and holiness. You have so all of these all of these fathers are writing about this because it's so important. Like has oh, I just did it? I'm going to realize it every time. <laughs> That's I why I didn't anything. want to tell you. But so, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, like what you're talking about is what the fathers call guarding the intellect or watchfulness. It's this, it's this inspecting the thoughts as they come, discerning what they are. That's what Evagris talks about. And then, and then rejecting them or, or guarding the heart, guarding the intellect, watchfulness. The Hezekiah says watchfulness is a continual fixing and halting of thought at the entrance to the heart. Mm. In this way, predatory and murderous thoughts are marked down as they approach, and what they say and do is noted. And so, they they all they all write about this. You know, some of them talk about the the inner heart that we can't let the thoughts enter and things like that. But yeah, it's all it's it's talked about in these stages that you just described by Bagrius. One of the stories that just that popped into my head just now was something that that um, that. But last night on Wednesday night, we were talking with with Rudy and Andrew Whaley, two people who you know. But but Rudy, Rudy wrote the story, and Andrew Whaley knew it. Um, but of uh, he said there were two. Speaking of like like the the demons of lust that that put these lustful thoughts in our mind, he says there was a there was an old monk and a young monk walk taking a walk, and they were going to cross a stream. When they got to the stream, there mm-hmm. was a. Have you heard the story? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. There, there was a, a woman there who 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 was very very beautiful, and 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 uh, a secular woman will say so. So uh, she she needed to cross the river. So the old monk um, picks her up, carries her across the river. 
and puts her down and then the two monks continue on their way. And, and as they're going on their way, they're a few miles in and the young monk says, you know, how did you like, you, you picked up that woman, like uh, that, that was, it just seems so unmonastic in a way that, that you would, you would do something that, that could lead to, you know, lustful thoughts. And the, and the, and the old monk says, I put her down on the other side of the river. You're still carrying her with you. In other words, you're, 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 mm -hmm you're letting these thoughts continue to, to invade your mind. And, and it, I, I did the right thing. I helped her and then I put her down and I moved on with my life. I, I, I identified, I'm not going to let this lead to bad thoughts. I'm going to do something good for her. And then I'm going to leave her there. Let her go on with her life. I go on with mine. You're carrying her in your mind. And therefore you've decided to embrace and to entertain, to couple with these lustful thoughts that you may have. Whereas I was able to do something and then leave them behind. Mm -hmm. Is that the way you heard the story too? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. I Amen. like that story. I use that one a lot. So I, I the two, the two, the two things, the two things I, I wanted to, I guess, just to say, maybe, dear listeners, to take with you is to pray about in your examination of conscience to pray about the the commitments that we make. Because I actually agree with you one hundred percent, sister. I uh, I meant more of like a deeper like when I tell parents we were going to do an exorcism on your kid at baptism, they're not possessed. You know, mm -hmm. like like that's I, I just wanted to make sure that people didn't think that if you break any commitment, that means you're possessed or that that you you've now given right. one hundred percent self. But but you're right, sister. It, it is so true that that we have we have we and, and when we break a commitment, we are doing something. We we don't we didn't. What does the Bible say? Say yes, we mean yes, and no, we mean no. You know, there should be real effort. Mm -hmm. And then again, talk to your spiritual father. I'm, I'm sure we're going to get emails saying, "What about this? What about this? What about this?" That's <laughs> like, these things happen. This, you yeah. know, sometimes break, break commitments are are probably even good. But you need to talk to your spiritual director about that when you've discerned something. So I'm not saying every time you break a commitment, it is, it is of the devil and it is bad. But when we do it out of selfishness or out of irresponsibility or out of whatever, you're right, sister. In that moment, we are we are thinking with the thoughts of the devil and we're letting the devil impact us. We're doing what is of the devil rather than what is of God um, to understand that, that polarity. So when it comes to commitment, I think it's important, especially this day and age, other previous generations were better. We need to really think about our commitments, um, probably say no more than we do. I think most people are that way. Say more because we, we know ourselves and we, we need to say no um, in the beginning so we don't need to break our commitments. Um, and then also, but take, when we do make a commitment, take them very seriously. Again, it's a, it's a pandemic. Like I said with these, that's why I brought the story of these priests. Like the, the breaking commitment is happening all over the place. And, and we need to understand the, the immensity of that. And then also, you know, even talk to a spiritual director or to a parent or to a friend or, or someone in your life that you can bounce these things off of and be vulnerable and, and say, you know, I, I would I would warn if you're really scrupulous, just be very careful because if you're very scrupulous and trying to analyze every single thought is going to drive you crazy. So again, talk to a mentor about this. Um, but but it is I think I think our our big sins come from little sins. Our little sins come from from thoughts. You know the the way what our mind engages with and and our thoughts are are the beginning of the battleground between ourselves and God and the devil. You know, the, and again, the, the three things that Vagrius talks about, are they our thoughts, are they God's thoughts, or are they the devil's thoughts? All the greater sin comes from these, these kind of initial thoughts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Anything else, sister? No, I'm excited to delve more into it when I do the episode on the eight evil thoughts after you mm -hmm. do the episode on sin. I'm not even looking at you right now. Um, I know you aren't. Because <laughs> you probably have. <laughs> Have a smile on your face. Um, I had a, <laughs> I, pr I had a prayer intention. Anyway, um, do you have a prayer intention, sister? I wrote one down, and I, I should have found this earlier. Sure. Um, please pray for. I don't know when this is coming out. Mm, I should have looked at that. Mm. Pray for a girl named Natalia that someone asked me to pray for. It's not Talca. It's not even anyone that I know or have met, but I was asked to pray for Natalia. So I'm going to ask all of you to pray for her too. And for my friend, Beth, who's not the Beth on the media team, but a different Beth. So she's having some, some health concerns right now. So Beth and Natalia. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I do not have the source. 
of my prayer intention. Um, so, but I do have a, a shout out. So the guys whose name I mispronounced, you pronounced correctly, Bryden. Um, he came to my parish uh, yeah. last Sunday, Sunday before. Oh, nice. And uh, so I want to give a shout out to him and then also to Alex and Damien Forbes. Uh, so the Forbes family came from our parish in Arizona and they they and they, they all listened to the podcast. So shout out to all you guys. Thank you for listening. Great to meet you in person. Thanks for coming out to California. Nice. Thanks for all you do. Keep up the good work. Persevere. Um, and I'm going to say, uh, please pray for um, a woman named Maria and a a man named Fred. These are two of my new new homeless friends here in Denver, two, two f- homeless who frequent the parish here. Not Denver. Sorry, Los Angeles, wherever I live, wherever my parish is. Um, <laughs> here in Los Angeles, they come and they, uh, and, and it's, it's been, I, I really, when I come to Elmas I love doing one soul at a time. I love like meeting one or two people and that's it. And kind of ministering, loving them individually and seeing what they can do. So, um, so these two, and they're, they're, both, they're both very beautiful in a way and both very sincere in a way. And, and it's been really kind of nice engaging with them. And also as we always do with, with, with people, um, that 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 desire a lot, you know, making sure that appropriate boundaries are set up in love, um, so that that love can continue in a healthy way. So just pray, pray for them, and pray for me, I guess, too, that that I'm able to find that balance, mm-hmm. um, as always happens in this type of ministry. All right, I'll give awesome. you all a blessing. Then may the Lord bless you and keep you, cause His face to shine upon you, have mercy on you. May you fall upon the trust of our Lord and trust him always to protect you from the attacks of the demons. May you pray for the uh, gift of, of discernment and what's the word sister that you use for the translation? Discrimination. Discrimination when it comes Discrimination. to the, the, the thoughts that we have, the logos moi, these these small things that the small thoughts that come from ourselves or from, from the demons or from our Lord, that we may grow in virtue and, and discrimination to be able to understand where each comes from and to utterly reject and, and very quickly those who come from the devil and yet embrace and throw ourselves into those that come from God, that we may be his and not the devil's. Um, may our Lord also empower your guardian angels and all the angels to protect you, the mother of God, who is, is a protectress. And may you grow in virtue and maturity in all of these ways, confidence and fearlessness. May Lord bless all of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Love you, Father. Love you too, sister. Love, Love you, all. you listeners. Praying for you.